Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Podcast. Um, today we are going to be tackling Farsight and some of his early career. Um, I'm very excited to get this going. This will be a two-part series, our, our first, and we will be focusing on his early career this uh, this time, and next week we'll be focusing on his uh, the creation of the Enclaves. So lots to talk about. Let's jump right in. Um, I am Calmsword, and this is Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Commander Farsight. And yeah, there's an enormous amount of lore on Farsight. And as I've as I've been reading and rereading not only codex entries, but I'd go back and, and read some of the, the the short stories about him with an emphasis on Arkunasha by Andy Chambers. I found that there is or there was this incredibly intriguing aspect of Farsight that I think gets overlooked by a lot of the community as well as in the new the new lore, which really tries to paint him as as kind of a good guy. I personally do not understand that choice. I, I do like Farsight, I'll start off with that, but I think that he's a much more intriguing character when he's got more of the Colonel Kurtz or Apocalypse Now kind of Heart of Darkness feel. Like he's a very, very dark and broken character and really exemplifies the future for what the Tau are probably going to experience as they're more and more involved in the universe of Warhammer 40,000. To kind of think of him as, as a good guy is, well, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a waste of uh, potential. So the way that this will go is I have an, we'll have a part one, which will kind of set him up. We're going to ignore some elements of his past because they don't really have... You, you could dedicate five episodes to him. So if you do catch something that you want to know more about, call it out and, and we'll have that conversation. What I want to focus on instead is his the, the period of time that he was a chassel and his eventual appointment to commander of the Reclamation Initiative after the Damocles Gulf Crusade. In the following episode, we'll cover elements of that Reclamation, the events that happen on Arthas Malak, and the latter wars against the Orcs, which basically creates the Enclaves. So really, Farsight comes into the let's call it the galactic stage, um, or at least starts to, we, we start to take notice of him during and shortly after the Veil vale War, was the last major conflict of the Commonwealth before the Damocles Gulf Crusade, also called the Lathesh War. The Veil vale War was, took place in the western part of the empire against the, most notably the Arakan, which are kind of this arachnoid species they don't have an army. They sound super cool. They, they only ever appear against the Tau, but they aren't exterminated. So they're somewhere out there. They, they're led by these mystics. They plant their young's eggs inside of their prisoners, which then emerge. And it's, it, they sound absolutely terrifying, but they reject the greater good, as well as membership or conceivably even interaction with the Tau. That conflict basically lasts for between eight and 12 years where you see extensive combat 
just in in the region just before the Damocles Gulf. So there's this there's a massive nebula that basically contains the inner part of the empire or encases the inner part of the empire, but whose natural border is the Damocles Gulf. Now, just to mention, the Damocles Gulf has two different descriptions. Initially, it was a nebulic region, lots of blue nebulas. In later descriptions, it is a, a void or an unusual like lack of any kind of stellar mass. And a lot of human rogue traders regard the region as haunted. So kind of take it as you like it. But for the purposes of our understanding, we have the stellar cluster where the Commonwealth resides, as well as most of their allies. And then that is divided to the northwest and south by a massive region called the Damocles Gulf. The Vale Nebula is just on the inside of the border between the two. So the war that takes place, it's to secure the rest of the stellar cluster and give the Tau kind of supremacy in that area. Farsight at the time is been uh, recently elevated uh, for his actions in that war and has been made a chassel. I think that if you look at some of the events against the Arakin that he fights, he's kind of, I think he's really, really pumped up for this position. And instead, though, because the war really finalizes the curing of the stellar cluster, he isn't given a war. There's nobody left to fight. And as Tau expeditions move into the the imperial, basically imperial held space and the Timbra subsector, the Tau have decided that they're going to do this predominantly diplomatically. And so instead of giving Farsight a fresh cadre or, or coalition to be a part of to go attack someone else, instead he is placed at basically garrison duty at a, on a planet called Arkunasha. Now, I, I should mention that it's not like the Tau were exclusively dealing with the Imperials diplomatically. As mentioned last episode, there is the conflict on a planet called Brutalis in which Tau engage with the Imperials in a kind of surprise attack almost 300 years before the Veil War. However, because we don't know too much about that, I've speculated that this is, this is potentially the reason why in the current timeline of 715 Millennium 41, the Ethereal and Watercast have decided not to engage aggressively with the Imperials and instead are hoping for a, either a coexistence or to bring in more of these imperial worlds into the Commonwealth. So Farsight is sent to Arkanasha. And Arkanasha is a, I don't know why we don't call it a death world. It is, it's an arid planet covered in these oxide deserts, so red deserts. It is a former holding of either, there's hints that it could have been perhaps a forge world at one point, or it's an alien civilization that has hence gone out. The planet has these storms, these dust storms, which are described as being semi-sentient. They, they, they're not random. And when biological matter comes in contact with them, they can strip you down to the bone very quickly and they absorb all of your moisture. These storms are kind of terrifying in this way. However, the planet is still chosen for colonization and the earth cast comes up with a, a way of building special domed cities closer to the equator where it seems like these are habitable regions and, and the population lives underneath them. Although it's never stated where Arkunasha is specifically, it seems based on both the fire cast that is there 
as well as the firecast that arrives later, that it's likely that this is in the Viorla Sept, as it is Viorlans that are defending it, as well as going to it. So Farsight is given kind of, I guess we could call it like a cushy desk job almost, but instead of sitting around or, or at least taking it easy, he immediately whips up the garrison into kind of a fighting uh, formation and is regarded by those warriors as, as a hero already for his, the, the successes and the victories that he had during the Vale War. I think that, I think that it's, it's, it's good to note that because of his experiences in the Vale War and then being denied an initial frontline command, that this is the beginning of something that for the Tau is, is considered not necessarily like a, a sin is too strong of a word, but they reject this as something that should be a primary concern of Tau, and that's individualism. Farsight, because of what he went through, is experiencing individual, like he believes that he has a better way of doing things. He also, he, what, what he is guilty of is kind of a, the sin of pride in which because he is so, because he outperforms so many of the Tau around him, that I think he wanted a frontline command and perhaps this was identified by the command structure of the Firecast or, or potentially the Ethereals. And I think that their assignment, his, his assignment to the planet Arkunasha might have been in the hopes of kind of tempering some of that individualism. We know that the Tau stress rehabilitation and that those individuals or those formations that believe themselves incompatible with the kind of herd mentality that the Tau have, they are sent on, you know, we have uh, monats, for example, but we also have stealth, uh, stealth pilot formations or pathfinders. They're, the Tau are very economical and they don't just, they don't cut off the parts of their command structure or their, or their population that don't work with the, the rest. They, they're, they're constantly striving to figure out how to make the pieces fit. And so I think he was sent to Arkanasha in the hopes of bringing him kind of back to what is more a more traditional way of thinking. Now, this runs, I think the reason why so many people like Farsight is because of his individualism. I mean, we are all human beings. We kind of aggrandize individual heroes and we like the notion of, you know, what makes a, an alpha or the best of the best. You know, we, we really like that aspect. And I think that when the designers created the Tao, they went in the opposite direction and did everything from a, a herd mentality. What's what's what is the greater good, you know? And then they turn that into the concept for which the aliens are are then based on. So, so when we see Farsight on Arkunasha, he's a little bit bent out of shape because of this, and he's probably begrudging the command for sending him out into the, you know, kind of what could be considered a backwater. Now, be it fate or for the purposes of plot. <laughs> Um, the orcs arrive shortly thereafter in 733 Millennium 41. Uh, that's two years after the end of the Vale War. And they arrive via an anomaly, a, a cosmic storm. I think it's safe to conclude that it's a warp storm. And when they emerge, the, initially the, the, uh, the, the command structure of Arkunasha doesn't believe that they're under attack and, and continually says that it's likely just like a, a, a minor pirate force or a single ship. While Farsight himself, and by the way, at, at this point in time, his name is Sho. He's not called Farsight yet. 
but he, he immediately kind of identifies the, the threat level and begins to engage where the orcs are landing on the planet. To give you just a quick perspective on the empire right now or the Commonwealth, we have about 13 sets, 83 worlds individually, as is reported by the Battlefleet Gothic books and Forge World. The empire is in a state of building. So the idea of going to war again shortly, so, and, and especially so shortly after the Veil vale War, which was costly, seems on a cultural-wide level as kind of like they're fatigued. So perhaps that's why the leadership doesn't want to believe that it's, you know, the planet is under attack and they're, and they're in the middle of an invasion. But an invasion happens nonetheless. Uh, it's Wadok. And he drops a large army onto the planet. And what begins is kind of a game of cat and mouse as Farsight uses his much smaller force to try to slow down these advances to the colonial centers on the equator. The details of that war can be talked about later, but needless to say, what happens is Farsight begins to adapt to the orc tactics. And this is part of his genius as a commander, his ability to adapt to his enemy. But what it also means is that he starts sacrificing elements of his command in order for victories. It's kind of his own version of his own version of what is the greater good and how to accomplish the greater good. This is directly this directly contradicts traditional command, where a Tau a Tau commander should not be allowing elements of his force to do last stands or suicidal charges. But Farsight, and again, I think it's because he's influenced by the orcs, engages at extreme close range and frequently is, is seen at the front of these engagements. An example of this would be what is now called the Massacre at Ghoul's Gorge, in which Sho commits a, a large majority of the fire warriors under his command to, to attack a Gargant, of which after several attempts to destroy it, they are defeated. I think that this would be the moment that Sho will regard as, as probably the lowest point, um, the, the, the deepest of his traumas. Because shortly after that, he will paint his armor red. And there are, I mean, there's been several, there's several versions of Farsight out there. I choose to go with the fact that he paints his armor red in regards to the planet's oxide deserts. But this is, this is kind of a, this is a, this is a big deal because one, he shouldn't have let, he shouldn't have allowed that kind of body count to rise. And to see him then take the, that defeat so personally, I would say that that's a big flag of the, of the depths of kind of like what, what he's going through individually. I think he regards it as, as, as a personal defeat. And I think that his connection to his warriors, which is very strong, he, it's not like he doesn't care about the fire warriors under his command, but he's almost too close to them in order to be to be a commander, despite his brilliance. I think that I think that Farsight would have probably been a really good like Shazfrey, uh, uh, like in charge of a unit of crisis suits, or or potentially even like a fireblade. Like I, I I think that the higher levels of command should have been locked out from him. But we're in the middle of a war with the orcs, and this war goes on for a long time. I, I think it's somewhere somewhere around. 10 years in which Farsight's not there for the whole part of it, for the whole of it. I think he's there for six or seven years. 
but he is told specifically at, shortly after the, the massacre at Ghoul's Gorge by the Ethereals, some sources say Anshi himself says that they will be evacuating the planet, which further deepens that defeat, that they, that they are going to have to leave one of these worlds behind, especially amidst the fact that the Commonwealth needs these types of planets to be producing in order to continue the second sphere. So during that evacuation, which is ultimately successful, Farsight in orbit believes that he himself will be, as reinforcements arrive, that he will be in charge of those reinforcements and retake the planet. For reasons that aren't stated in that book, Arkanasha by Andy Chambers, but what I've extrapolated is that I believe that this is further the decisions of the Ethereals to distance this guy from being so close to these events that are unfolding. What he's going through personally, though, is also interesting because he finds out that the Ethereals were actually actually in, in denial of the Firecast, probably the Viorland Firecast command, the Ethereals were actually building up reinforcements, like using Farsight's hit-and-run attacks and, 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 and that game of planetary cat and mouse, that they were effectively allowing for a bigger buildup of troops while Farsight was busy going through probably hell in the desert and probably the massacre at Ghoul's Gorge as well. So when he finds out about that, he also takes it really personally. The death of his warriors is hinged directly with the ethereal decision to not let go of those reinforcements and potentially have prevented that kind of, that kind of massacre. On the other side, if you look at it from a more traditional commander and tactical perspective, from what we think of as, as tradition with the Tau, it actually kind of makes sense. You have a, a holding action taking place on a, on a planet where the, the, the civilian population has been pulled away, and you're building up a, a retaliatory force, which will then be unleashed on an unsuspecting enemy, which, who, who thinks, the, the orcs that is, who think that they're winning the war. So it's, it, it, depends on, it, it depends on how you want to think about the situation, but it makes sense to me that the Shasar Toll, or excuse me, the Ethereal Council would make this decision. At around this time, and we're in 740, just before 745, or excuse me, uh, no, we are in 743, 44, Farsight is pulled away from Arkunasha and is elected to join uh, Subcommander Icewind and Shadow Sun to be taught by Commander Puretide on Dalith. So clearly, he makes himself known in that conflict zone as a commander that knows how to do what we could say is the relative impossible, even though he's simultaneously going through this period of self-conflict and doubt, Pure Tide sees something or, or, or at least reads reports or something to, to make the decision to, to adopt him as one of his students. Shortly thereafter, we have the Damocles Gulf Crusade, but just before that, we do have Farsight's tutelage under Pure Tide and with Shadow Sun and he, at the conclusion of his studies, is elevated to Chasso. So I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Does anybody have anything that they'd like to bring up? Bossman, absolutely, if you want to come up here to speak. So what's that? All right, so I would like to, to point out that by this point in 
seen Forsyth's life by the time he's starting to train under uh, Commander Puretide. He's already kind of figured out what strategy he likes, what works, what he's, what he's you know comfortable with. Uh, on Arkunasha, he kind of just he, he he sort of just throws things at the wall to see what works, and eventually he comes across this very hyper aggressive style that ends up working incredibly well on the orcs. Uh, the Gorge Massacre was one of Farsight's relatively few defeats, and a lot of this effectiveness, a lot of this strategy, feeds into his frustration with being asked to pull back, because when he is given the order from the Ethereals to retreat from Arkanasha, he feels that he he can win. He feels that if given time and proper support... He can free the entire planet. He won't give the orcs time to repopulate their numbers. He can just wipe them off the planet, get it back to productivity for the Tau Empire. And, he, and when the Ethereals order him to pull back anyway, I think it's very much this, I want to say a crisis of confidence for Farsight. Kind of him feeling that, well, either I can do it or I can't. If I can, just let me do it. If I can't, then why not? This kind of starts to be the first point where he kind of, kind of decides that maybe I know better than the Ethereals. Maybe I, who am on the ground commanding the military forces, can see things more clearly than ethere some Ethereal who is way back out in space, maybe. Yeah, but I see, the thing is, I ultimately... I think if you look at the events that unfold, Arkunasha ends up becoming a victory. And Farsight's, I think it's called the Way of the Short Blade is what, is what he develops on the planet, ends up ultimately not being the thing that works. What works is the buildup of reinforcements and the counter-invasion. And if you look at it from the perspective of the entire Firecast military, then because of his ability to waylay and slow the orc advance down long enough for the civilians to be evacuated, I think it's an extremely complex victory on behalf of the uh, fire warriors and, and even the ethereals who kind of set the mandate. Again, the ethereals, I don't think the ethereals were involved in the military decisions to accomplish a victory on Arkunasha, but I do see their hand as advising to not, not just keep on throwing gas on the fire. If a single cadre had shown up while Farsight was fighting in the desert, they wouldn't have done anything except perhaps emboldened the orcs. While, while if you drop an entire coalition on the orcs all at once, you can kind of silence, you, 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 can, you can hit them all at the same time, rather than just kind of slowly, you know, petering forces in. So me, me, and, and of course, this is from the, the desk chair tactician. That's what I, I think that ultimately Arkunasha can be viewed as a Tau victory versus what Farsight wanted, which was a more knockout punch kind of, actually very classically human, or at least, you know, Western modern mentality of like, you go in, you smash the bad guy, and then you plant your flag on him, you know? I don't think that his way would have resulted in a better outcome than than what happened. But that, of course, that's that's just my opinion. 
I mean, I, I definitely think that Farsight likes to go for a kill blow when he can, but he kind of understands that it's not logistically possible. Like, once we get to the battle on Dalith, we see a lot of cases in which he understands the tactical situation very well and doesn't over ex overextend himself, doesn't run ahead of his supply lines, doesn't, so doesn't really I, do any of the things we would associate right. with being overly aggressive in a Western sense. Well, okay. So, so firstly, I'll say that Farsight is not in command of the defense at Delith. He's subordinate to Pure Tide's overall command. And he's working in conjunction with several other similarly ranked chasseaux, such as Shadow Sun, Ice Wind, and depending on the sources that you want to read from, Kais. He's not in complete control in the way that he was on Arkunasha. And he's also coming off of several years of being taught by what we can say is like the master of traditional Tao Warcraft, right? But, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but I would bring up the battle of, what is it, uh, Black Mesa, where Farsight orders an entire like wing of, of crisis pilots to, to engage with an imperial, an imperial tank advance and attack them with the experimental weapons of the Onager Gauntlets. All of those crisis pilots die. Similarly, he orders a suicide mission for one of his commanders against a space marine infiltration underneath one of the cities. And again, all of those pilots die as well. And that commander of that formation activates this experimental stasis weapon, which takes out the, uh, a chapter master of the Scarlord space marines, but also sacrifices himself in doing so. I would say that Farsight's military career, even after Pure Tide, is littered with these kind of heavy-handed, I mean, I don't know what else to call them other than kind of like suicide tactics in order to accomplish his goals. There's a lot to be said about that. Him, in a lot of cases, I think Farsight's intention is is to bring the hammer down. It's to... It's a situation where he sees the immense tactical value of, for example, taking down a Space Marine Chapter Master. That's immensely important to the course of the war. And he kind of just gets to the point where he sees the importance of that final result and kind of blinds himself to the things in between there. Like, he sees the line between point A and point B, and nothing else matters except the fact that he can see that line. Which is ultimately why I don't think of him as a the pinnacle of what a Tau commander should be. He sounds much more like a Space Marine commander or an Imperial Guard commander, and which is which is interesting because he also cares he cares extremely about the people under his command, which is why he consistently leads from the front. But again, I don't I don't think of this I don't think this exemplifies him as the commander that will eventually be given probably more more authority than any other commander in the history of the Tau up until I mean up until then you have Shadow Sun. So he's when he's given when he's given authority to reclaim those worlds lost during the Damocles Gulf Crusade, I think he was the wrong choice. Based on what happened on Arkunasha, his reaction to being pulled off of the front lines, and because of his actions 
during the, the defense of Dalith. I mean, keep in mind, he's also being exalted by fire warriors. The fire cast thinks of him as the pinnacle warrior or the ultimate commander. You know, I love him. They're, they're, he is he, he is their hero. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and it, that doesn't stop when he leaves. Uh, I mean, like several hundred years later, Torchstar just defects the Tau Empire because she right. thinks that Farsight is simply a better choice. She, like, kind of fanboys for him. I, I really don't know what other word to put it in. And we'll talk about the eight and, uh, and and the more modern enclave history in the in the in the follow up to this, but but I will say that this is ultimately not a good example though of of a, a of a fire warrior that that exemplifies service to the greater good. the The greater good is supposed to be something that's bigger than a single battle, and time and again, Farsight throws either himself, which is you you shouldn't do that as as let's say a supreme commander, right? You shouldn't constantly be putting yourself in front of every bullet while simultaneously sacrificing members of your command, I guess, like untenable situations in which they will most likely die. I mean, it's said even in the first Tau Codex that the Tau don't believe in the kind of the notion of heroic last stands. They believe in a fluid state of warfare and Farsight is the counter to that. He might be accomplishing his mandates in terms of like the overall goal, but he's doing it at such a cost that I, I would say in terms of the other, in terms of the other examples that we have of Tau commanders, I think he ranks very low on his effectiveness while coupled, while, while coupled with brilliant, uh, you know, no pun intended foresight. I think he just spends the lives of, of of those under his command, and I think he eventually will. Re- he does recognize this in the interim, in, in the interim, between the the Damocles Gulf Crusade and the Third Sphere. So let's. I think let's continue going forward, and let's talk a little bit about the Crusade, and then what happens after. So okay, so it's millenn- uh, Millennium forty one seven forty five, and the which we talked about last time. The Crusade pulls back. From Dalith, this is because of a combination of realizations that the the Tyranids are now threatening Ultramar and the eastern region of the Ultima Segmentum, but also that the Tau themselves are a much larger force to be reckoned with. Again, we're you know we're somewhere between almost a hundred fully colonized planets, thirteen heavy kind of industrialized sept regions, and the Imperium, which sent this crusade, accomplished effectively bloodying the nose of the Commonwealth, but ultimately bit off more than they could chew. And so after the signing of the Delith Treaty between the leadership of the Crusade and the Delithian water cast, you have a kind of panicked retreat. This is both because of the need to get out of the region and get you know, face the Tyranids, but it's also because this is kind of what happens when a massive military formation has to get out of get out of dodge. Think of it as a little bit like Dunkirk. And there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Imperials that are left behind. Some of these, especially the ones on Dalith, will choose to join the the Tau and become the first 
kind of official Guevessa. We do know that there were populations there before, but these populations could be, you could consider them to be like near imperials and that they, it's probably been generations since they had any interaction with the Imperium culture proper. The humans that are left behind in the, in the wake of the Crusades retreat are predominantly from Brimlock. And Brimlock is known for its uh, strong adherence to the ecclesiarchy and the worship of the god emperor. emperor. And so to have this type of, the, these type of hard cultural imperials join, join the, the Commonwealth is, is indicative of how it will change kind of the face of, of how the Tao interact with the Imperium and vice versa. So we have this happening in Farsight, whose star has only continued to rise as, as Bossman was describing, in spite of in spite of the fact that Dalith itself has has really been bloodied and kind of brought low, if you think about it, this is regarded as one of the jewels of the castes, and and to have it evacuated and to have all of the effects of uh, Titan Wars on it, it's it's a dark day for Dalith. But Farsight has risen above even the notoriety of Pyrtide and really is the first kind of celebrity that we see for the Tau. Amongst the Imperium, like the Imperium kind of runs on celebrity from all the way from the Primarchs to individual Imperial commanders like Macarius. Humanity loves to put a name on their heroes, but Tau don't typically do that. Even Pyrtide, who was regarded as probably the most preeminent commander of the first and second spheres, he is not treated in the same way that Farsight is. We have a large propaganda campaign that bolsters Farsight to even higher levels and, and now gains notoriety throughout not only the Commonwealth, but also its allies. The degrees of which the rest of the castes begin to regard Farsight is unusual. And it is something that um, Anva, who is right now the the second most influential ethereal in the Commonwealth after Anwei, he realizes there's, a, there's an opportunity here. And I actually, when I bring up the fact that I think that it was a mistake for Farsight to be put in charge of the reclamation fleet that Anva is formulating, I actually, I, I lay that mistake at Anva's hooves. And I think that this is indicative of a problem that Anva has that will haunt him through the age of the age of questioning, which will happen, which at the end of the second sphere, which is uh, the battle at Delith, you have the age of questioning, which begins the Nanta, and it will follow him to his eventual death on Agrelin during the third sphere. I think that Anva is responsible for a lot of the mistakes that happen over the course of of his existence and, and as well as the Commonwealth's. So, Farsight is placed in command of the largest fleet ever assembled. There are different reports on how big it was, millions of colonists, hundreds of thousands of fire warriors. It is drawn from, largely from the reinforcements from Sakia and Viorla, as well as even some, there's mention of some individuals from Tong and Tao itself. This enormous reclamation fleet is launched with the express mandate to reclaim the worlds that were lost to the Imperial Crusade. So while this is going on, Shadow Sun, as well as, we don't know what happened to Icewind. There, there's a potential retcon that happened there. I like to think that he either died on Delith or was sent to, to the southern part of the empire where, where Farsight was sent beyond the Damocles Gulf. 
but Kais as well is placed into stasis. Meanwhile, Farsight is then immediately confronted with the fact that there are holdout pockets of Imperials on several of the planets that are still on the Tau side of the Gulf. And he is noted as to successfully convincing many of them to join the Tau, which results in further Huevesa joining him. That sizable population is something that he utilizes. So as you note, there's a distinction between the Guevesa that remain in the Commonwealth's interior and those Guevesa that, that choose to join the reclamation fleet. So one of these battles in which that this, this becomes of specific note is actually the, uh, the battle to retake Kronos. So some of you might know Kronos from the Dawn of War games. It's one of the planets that you fight for. And there's a really interesting entry where it talks about 200 years before the battle to, to then retake it in the third sphere, Farsight is, is responsible for, for securing the, the colony and actually brokering a kind of peace with the, the Imperials on that planet. They don't become Guevesa. They actually intermingle with the Tau colonists that are there. Farsight invents the tactics that utilize Vespid and Crisis Suits in conjunction to defeat a, an actual an orc presence that's on the planet, and then, and then of course, brokers the peace. The reason why this, this is so important is, is that it's the first time that, the, that Farsight is, is now engaging enemies that are other than Imperials. He engages against orcs. And this, perhaps this ignites some of his, some of his animosity toward the orcs and the fact that he was denied ultimate victory at Arkunasha. But what happens is, is that he, he chooses to, instead of stopping at the reclamation, which takes 15 years, um, instead of stopping there, he continues to persecute this new war with the orcs. And this is done at the express uh, denial of, uh, of such an action by not only the ethereals, but as well as the Shasar Toll. Um, so both bodies tell him effectively to stop, to come back. And Farsight uh, specifically uh, believes that he, he should be engaging this next threat. He should, he should knock out uh, this, uh, this new enemy. And so he, he invades an area of space known as the Vorak field, uh, asteroid fields. Uh, in doing so, um, he initially has several uh, incredible victories. Um, probably because of just the, the, the sheer numerical advantage that he has. But, but this leads to, and you can read about it in the Orc Codex, uh, this leads to the Orcs kind of realizing that Farsight uh, is, is, is a good fight to have. And, and the Orcs are obsessed with, with finding um, entertaining or worthy foes. Uh, when he enters the Vorak asteroid fields and, kind of, and, and purges the initial pirate bases that are there, it immediately and very quick, very quickly uh, escalates into an all-out war uh, against the uh, the orc warlord known as Grog, um, who is the who's also known as uh, as kind of the leader of the orc empire of uh, Alsanta. So, so this we're we're going to kind of pull to an end here um, in terms of because there's there's a lot to to go over in the 
in the next episode about this. But again, in terms of my own research, I would say that this is yet another example of uh, Farsight putting his his own um, his own uh, belief as to how to get the job done, but then to the extent that now that he is in supreme control, he denies uh, the ethereals that are actually with him. His three there there are three ethereals in in attendance with him. He denies their 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 order to return to the empire. He denies the overall Shasartol command, and instead basically picks a fight that the Tau are ultimately not going to be ready to fight. And as a result of kind of kicking this hornet's nest, uh, Grog will, will, will begin several major invasions that will, that will hit Kelshen, uh, that will destroy the, uh, or at least purge the planet of Atari Vo, um, as well as threaten Viorla itself. Um, and this is all as a direct result of uh, Farsight's initial invasions of the Vorak asteroid fields. So, so yeah. So, so let's uh, let's let's open it up to that. I, I'm interested to what you might have to say about that, Bossman. I think uh, t- there's definitely an extent at which you could say. Yes, Farsight is is just creating problems for himself by trying to 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 defeat everyone. He he's kind of got this idea that he he can't be beat, that he's that, he, that he's unstop this unstoppable commander. And the biggest problem is that in a lot of cases he is. He's he's an incredibly talented commander, uh no doubt about it. And what this means is that more often than not he can do things that he should not be able to get away with. Um, and don't for a second think I'm, I'm disparaging his abilities by saying that. He's probably one of the... Despite, you know, Calm Sword, your, uh, your, your questionable... Uh, your, your assessment about his questionable uh, command aspects, the guy is incredibly good at, um, at the art of war. To, sure. To, to yeah. the point where he's probably the the best Tau alive when it comes to countering some of the Empire's threats, specifically orcs and space marines. I won't deny that he's an able warrior and and and, a, and, a, and an excellent tactician. But if you if you look at his inability to understand how to utilize the rest of the casts or to utilize out, out uh, other perspectives. Um, especially the ethereals, um, who have, you know, obviously, if you if you if you read, depending on which authors you like to adhere to, um, the ethereals in my in my perspective are are like the ultimate like human resources, right? Like they understand the yeah. company, uh, or 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 in this case, the Commonwealth. They understand it from this this bird's eye view, where they see all of the different all of the different pieces all fitting and know how to know how to make them work the best that they can. Um, and as a result of things, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go. And, and that's very much the problem in a lot of instances. It's that Farsight, Farsight is good enough that in a given situation where he can't just, just brutally murder his way to victory, he kind of hits this complete and utter wall because he doesn't know what to do anymore. Exactly. And that's why it's so important that that a Tau commander, um, and I will say this, uh, I, I'm also a big fan of Shadow Sun. Shadow Sun understands the working pieces 
of her culture uh, in a way that is um, that surpasses Farsight in a lot of ways. She understands uh, the importance of how to utilize um, the air cast really, really well, um, um, and especially the earth cast, for example. She, and, and you can see this by her uh, across the board. Um, she has she kind of has all of the all the working pieces uh, uh, operating simultaneously. It's one of the reasons why she pilots uh the that suit that the the earthcast uh, chose her to to be the uh the test pilot for so at the same time i don't want i don't want to come off as as uh besmirching the name of uh farsight but a, but but he's he's a hammer you know and 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 when you're a hammer the world all of the problems of the world just look like a bunch of nails and through his while he understands the importance of of using aliens, for example, which I think a lot of people think that that Farsight is is somehow a xenophobe. Um, I don't think that he's a xenophobe. I think he understands use how to how how to use auxiliaries in a unique and 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 interesting way. But but I think that I think that when he if I were to if I were to uh, hypothesize what Pure Tide's overall idea was, I would say that that Shadow Sun is the consummate Tao traditionalist, whereas Farsight is the wild card. And you need the wild card to exist because otherwise you can't, you can't meet new problems and you can't come up with new, the, you know, new combinations uh, in, order to, in order to get the job done. Uh, Shadow Sun has a notable, I mean, except when she starts to adopt Farsight's own method, uh, methodology of Warcraft, um uh, uh it, she she's she's a traditionalist <clears throat> um whereas farsight is constantly coming up with new tactics in the same way that pure tide himself came up with new tactics uh utilizing uh old technologies or 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 technologies that that people didn't think were were uh were good enough for a job and and coming up with a new way of how to execute um farsight for example uh and his relationship uh, with uh, Ovesa, um, despite the fact that I, I, I have a lot of uh, negative things to say about Ovesa, he's he's very much a uh, the Tau version of uh, Belisarius Call. Um, Fabius Bile or anybody like that, yeah. Sure, he's a mad scientist for sure. Um, but but he's paired perfectly with Farsight in that Farsight is willing to use those weapons. Um, again, I bring up the Battle of Black Mesa. Uh, where where he's using um, he's using the uh, the Onager gauntlets right um, to to lay waste uh, to an Imperial armored formation and the and the and the Imperials never see that coming um, a bunch of crisis suits with effectively uh, power fists. Um, however, on the other side of that, again, it's at the loss of all but one of those pilots, and I don't think that that makes him the the guy for the job i i would have been i would be really i mean and it gets into hypotheticals but i would have been really interested to see what if shadow sun had been in charge of the reclamation right um i i i think that i think that you would have gotten a completely different set of results um i don't think that the shasar toll or the ethereals thought that that the orc threat had been exterminated. However, 
the first the the septs of the first and second sphere had been secured um the borders had been hardened and i mean who knows what could have happened with with the uh, the commonwealth being able to have let's say i mean let's just i mean go completely hypothetical if the tau had had 200 years to set up for the third sphere uh advance um imagine what they could have had what they could have called on um versus versus what ends up happening which is farsight kicks that or that that uh hornet's test uh nest that that is grog and as a result you have 200 years of intermittent invasion um and some of these invasions are 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 are, are something that the that the tau had never experienced before i mean they get one of their planets one of one of the most populated planets uh in the commonwealth uh gets gets basically smashed by by uh this this massive orc uh ast you know the, this asteroid and and it it must have set back all of the plans of the casts by by literal decades or even centuries uh as a result of farsight's decision to um to to try to clear out the vorak asteroid fields so but but at the at the same time, I, I I'm not going to say he's not an incredible commander. Uh, it is it is exemplary that he leads from the front. Um, it is it is in it, it's 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 uh, it's intriguing how much he cares about his warriors, despite the fact that he then orders them to do things that often result in their death. And well, part of it is the fact that they will, if Farsight orders a uh, a Tau squad to their death. They're gonna do it, and yep. they're gonna, and that tout squad is going to understand that sometimes sacrifices need to be made. That's the nature of the greater good to them. Right. It's this very, it's this brutally pragmatic. Um, uh, I, I don't necessarily want to say Darwinist, uh, but it's this, it's this idea that sometimes you're faced with a trolley problem. And you have to have the willpower to switch that to switch that train to the track with one person. You you have to be the one that makes that choice. And if that and if that considers you a butcher, so be it. I don't think it could have been said any better. That brings us to the end of Farsight Part One. The following episode will cover the other half of this really intriguing Tao character. I hope you had a good time. Um, be sure to subscribe, like, and if you have any recommendations or anything that you'd like us to talk about, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we are on the Tao 40,000 server. Uh, I am CalmSword, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, have a, I hope this was a uh, I hope this was a good companion to you as you paint or model uh, or just drive. We'll see you next time.